It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Baseball podcast returns as we get uh, close to the late days of the month of October. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Vaughn, Sam Dykstra in New York City. We're so close. You're in the middle of a playoff city right now, Sam. Things are I am recording on Wednesday, two-two. The ALCS between the Yankees and Astros. What's the what's the atmosphere like in the old Apple there? I got to say, it, it is different here. Um, you could feel it a couple years ago when the Mets were obviously making their run to the World Series, but. As big a city as New York is, and there's so many different neighborhoods, and I live in Brooklyn, which you know hasn't had a uh, major league team since the Dodgers left Ebbets Field and all that kind of stuff, you think, like, oh, you can escape baseball. But there's al- always such a palpable buzz when the Yankees are in town or the Mets are in town for a playoff series. Um, you know, it's, it's on the cover of the Daily News, the Post every day, not just this, the back page of sports, but like the front page uh, you know, of the main section. Um, you know, it's it's on the tip of the tongue of everybody in the city, uh, at least, you know, people who live here. So it, it is really cool, um, you know, not to rub that in you know the face of people who live in 26 other cities that don't have major league playoff teams right now. But yeah, whatever, uh, man. I know. Yeah. A lot of you had your runs. And um, but it, it, it is really neat. And it is there is something to the fact that the four biggest cities in the country have uh, all have playoff teams left. Um which I'm sure, you know, Major League Baseball is, is doing a dance every day for that. But, you know, it, it is exciting. You get to see the Dodgers trying to make the World Series again for the first time since 88, I think. Uh, the Astros, you know, making one of their all-time pushes. Um, the Yankees somehow being a likable team, which, you know, I, just because their persona over the last decade or so, it, it it's easy to hate them and their money spending. but It's definitely a very different feeling Yankees team than right. every other Yankees team that's made the postseason for the last 20 years. Right. And I, and I say that from a, you know, from what I'm getting from fans, this is not like right. me personally um, being this a Yankees team. I, whoever wins the world series, it doesn't really matter to me, but uh, yeah, just having th- this Yankees team, that's a homegrown team again, that it, there's so many guys to root for that you've seen come up through the minors and that kind of thing. Everything we've talked about over the last com- couple of years coming to fruition, whether it's the Yankees, the Cubs, or the Astros, or the Dodgers to some extent. I mean, I, all these teams left have uh, have some claim to that. So that definitely makes you know these LCSs a, a little bit more fun, especially from our end, but definitely when you're in the thick of it as well. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You tweeted something the other day about how you're watching games and your parents ask you, have you interviewed that guy? And more often than not, you can say, yeah, actually, I have interviewed that guy, which is cool about all four of these teams, how they were all built largely – um, from within, which is a conversation that we've had uh, a lot on this podcast that has become the thing to do in baseball. You can't go out. Yeah, you can still go out and supplement a good roster of homegrown talent with some big money, big ticket guys around them. But
but this is no longer the Major League Baseball of the early to mid 2000s where you can go throw nine figure deals at a handful of players, build yourself a super team, and all of a sudden you're in the World Series, which makes it so much more fun to watch all these guys get drafted and signed and developed and make their way to the big leagues and um, and have a, a very bright future ahead for a lot of them still for a ton of years because we're seeing so many big contributors first second third years of their career the Cody Bellingers of the world the Corey Seegers not in the CS uh but the the Corey Seegers of the world the American League side obviously what Aaron Judge has been doing and that team how many talented guys they've got uh on that roster the Astros that entire club it's like we watch them win championship after championship in the minor leagues and now they're doing it at the major league level and you think having watched this for the last years you think like well yeah that figures and then obviously what the Cubs have done with their homegrown guys as well so it's been pretty cool for us to, to get a chance to watch so many of these guys grow and graduate and make it to the big leagues and have all this success and in the middle of uh, a couple of good league championship series right now i guess unless you're a cubs fan um but you know <laughs> you you've been fine for the last three years or the last year the last three years really but the last year i guess puts it all into perspective but third straight lcs for that team um right. pretty impressive stuff uh, so with that, a very lengthy welcome, but it's the postseason in Major League Baseball, so everybody's thinking about it. Uh, I, I do get to a point where after the league championship series, I start feeling like um, soon it's just going to be one game a day soon. <laughs> it's going to be none until But there's March. so much heart we can pour into that one that's game. That's true. That is true. And that's fun. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a fun time of year no matter what. We are going to hear from a member of a major league organization that is currently in the postseason and the player himself currently taking part in the Arizona Fall League, and that is Los Angeles Dodgers catching prospect Will Smith, who will join the show coming up in a little bit. But before we get to Will, before we get to three strikes, thanks for tuning into the show before the show, wherever you found us. iTunes, Stitcher app, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We're also at MILB.com slash podcast. And wherever you found us, give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you would be so kind. You can also get in touch. We put out a call last week um, for email questions. Got some about the minor leagues you want to know about, players you want us to talk about, things about the minors that maybe you are unsure of or don't have exactly the background knowledge that you would like. Uh, get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com or find us on Twitter. Sam is at Sam Dykes or MILB. I am at Tyler Mon, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to answer those on the show. we got a lot more leeway over the offseason to talk about any and all topics. And with that... We'll get started on three strikes for this week's 132nd episode of the show before the show. And we'll kick it off with the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, now a couple of weeks into play. AFL goes Monday through Saturday, off days on Sunday. So we're in week two right now, but we already do have a lot of guys who have kind of put their stamp on the early going in the Arizona Fall League in 2017. Sam, who is standing out to you so far? Yeah, so we should point out uh, the AFL had its first player of the week award. That was given to David Bodie. Uh, of the Chicago Cubs organization. Not a ranked prospect necessarily, but he's somebody who's going to be Rule 5 eligible uh, coming up this offseason. So he's definitely playing for a spot, whether that's a 40-man spot with the Cubs or playing for you know a, a spot with another team. Uh, you know He did have some level of success this year at AA Tennessee. He was a mid- and postseason all-star uh, for the Tennessee Smokies. He had a great week last week. He, he, when they gave him the award, he was technically 8th for 16 through his first four games the first week. He's only gotten better since. Uh, as of right now, he's 12 of 23 uh, for a five, excuse me, a 522 average. He's got a 560 OBP. He leads the league with four home runs. Nobody else has more than two uh, as of this time we're speaking. His 25 total bases are most in the league. The next closest to that is 18, Lourdes Gurriel. 
Um, so, you know, Bodie being a guy who needs to win a spot, you know, he is there kind of a man on a mission. He is there with a purpose. Uh, he's certainly taking advantage of that. Um, you know, how that's going to play out over a larger sample, we'll have to see. Uh, the interesting thing with him is he's kind of a super utility player. Um, you know, he's played mostly second base. He's gotten some third base here in the fall league. But throughout his minor league career, he has played every single position except for catcher. Uh, they've tried him out, you know, all over the infield, all over the outfield. Um, he's mostly going to be an infielder. Um, but, you know, for being an 18th round pick out of a community college, uh, you know, he's certainly become an asset for the Cubs. Uh, you know, not a ranked prospect just yet, but, you know, with that utility, if he can show, continue to show an improved at bat uh, or an improved bat uh, and continued added power. I mean, this year he hit 14 homers for Tennessee. That was double his previous high. He's obviously carrying that to the fall league. That's really fun to see. Uh, over on the pitching side, I've got two guys, Albert Abreu of the Yankees. Uh, pitching for Scottsdale and Max Reed of the Braves pitching for Peoria. Uh, both have given up or both have had two starts so far this year. Uh, Freed has not allowed a run yet, only given up four hits and two walks over eight innings. Uh, he struck out 11 in that time. Uh, Freed you know, got a major league chance with the Braves at the, the end of the year this year. Um, they're allowing him to continue to make up for some innings. Obviously, he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. Uh, went back when he was a member of the Padres, came over to the Braves, still kind of working his way back. You know, had pitched 92 and two-thirds innings this year in the minors, 26 in the majors. So they're just trying to get him added work. He's going to be working for a rotation spot with the Braves, you know, come next spring. Obviously, that's that's a, going to be a talented Braves rotation at some point. How is he going to kind of find himself in there? Uh, you know, Fall League, he's pitching when guys like Colby Allard, Mike Soroka aren't. So that certainly helps his case. Um, but it, the Braves are kind of between two waves right now. You saw Sean Newcomb come up this year. You know, Aaron Blair is up there. Uh, you know, wh what are they going to do with some of their veterans uh, coming up? You know, is R.A. Dickey going to stay? Is he going to go? What, what's going to go on there? So Freed has to kind of wedge himself in there. How is he going to force him, his way into the, the current system? And then how is he going to keep his spot, you know, when the – Allards and the Sorokas and, you know, Luis Gohar is already up, but, uh, you know, how is he going to hold off that second wave that's going to be coming? Um, this is this is all going to be kind of a test for that for him. And the other guy I had w was the number seven, you know, Yankees prospect, Albert Abreu, uh, at least among pitchers. He came over in the Brian McCann trade last year, uh, along with another really hard-throwing right-handed prospect in Jorge Guzman. Uh, didn't see as much of him this year as maybe we would have liked. He only threw 53 and a third innings uh, across three levels, including Class A Charleston, Class A Advanced Tampa, and rookie level uh, Gulf Coast League. So, you know, he's there almost explicitly to, to make up innings, and he's certainly doing that so far. Uh, right now he is tied with Freed for the AFL strikeout lead with 11 in 10 innings. Um, so they've allowed him to go a little bit deeper than you traditionally do in the fall league. Uh, because he has so much time to make up. He's only given up one run. Uh, it was earned on six hits and three walks in those 10 innings, so he's allowing not only less than a run, uh, you know, his ERA is 0 0.90. His whip is also 0 0.90. Um, it, we'll see how he can kind of carry that deeper, but you know, knowing how much time he has to make up, um, we are going to see plenty more of him, not necessarily in the same way I think we would with Freed, 
Um, you know, obviously he's making up innings too, but Abreu has just so much more to do. Uh, I think the Yankees are going to be totally fine with him being ridden for a little while longer. Uh, he's got some really good stuff, you know, plus, plus fastball, plus to plus, plus, I should say. Uh, it can it can hit triple digits at times. It's not necessarily where he's sitting like some guys, but it can certainly do that. Uh, his curveball and changeup have earned positive grades. It's in the control department uh, that he can come sometimes get hurt. Um, but like I said, three walks in 10 innings so far, not really showing those control concerns uh, that we have seen out of him in the past. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my trio right now. You know, we'll be talking plenty more. This is only one week. We're still obviously in small sample territory, uh, but these guys are going against quality competition. And and some of these guys have certainly taken off uh, in surprising and in exciting ways. That is strike one. Strike two. Um, we'll be talking about this a little bit as the show goes along today, but there was a report um, from Baseball America this week that the concept of expansion in Major League Baseball seems to be gaining a lot of steam. Um, kind of an interesting story, and it really blew up, especially on social media. Um, the the story was that Portland and Montreal look to be the front runners for when Major League Baseball seemingly inevitably expands to 32 teams. Um, the story didn't have any sourcing. The story just said that there is growing consensus in baseball that this is something that's going to happen, which is is probably very likely, but it wasn't a a concrete nailed down. This is from this person and this is the timetable and whatever. So there's still some conjecture that's involved here, um, but that obviously plays a very big role in what the landscape of the minor leagues will look like going forward. So let's say that this is a thing that is going to happen. The major league baseball is going to expand to 32 teams. Um, We're not going to discuss on the major league side, what that means, but from a player development standpoint, there's a lot of impact on what this would mean for the minor leagues. Sam, tell us a little bit about kind of your initial reaction and and what stands out to you about this on the minor league side. Yeah, to be honest, I'm going to take a different track than I think we normally do. Uh, You know, we, we want to get excited about more baseball teams. That's great. Um, more major league markets that's fun and exciting hopefully they can succeed you know the two ones that are being talked about are portland and montreal Um, obviously montreal has a complicated history with baseball we would all love to see it back uh shout out to jonah carey who's probably going to try to do everything he can to make that happen and you know after he got tim Raines in the hall of fame i wouldn't question anything he can do or his influence unlimited reach right yeah uh but and portland kind of the same way you know they had a triple A team that didn't work out. The team ended up moving to El Paso. Uh, so how does that kind of work out? What, it, what, are, what are all the machinations of that? That's where I think everybody else focused is going to be in on the major league side. For me, it's kind of just more exciting because it means more chances for, for baseball players, not, you know, just the fact that it's going to open up 50 major league spots for guys. So sometimes we can have the conversation of, is that going to dilute major league talent? You know, those are, two new pitching staffs you need to fill. Those are 10 rotation spots you need to fill. Um, so, you know, guys, the, the next 10 guys right now in minor league baseball who are looking on the outside in, um, who aren't necessarily good to be major league types, they, uh, you know, de facto become major league types just because there's more spots. Um, but I think in general, that's good just because you are getting more people chances. You know, we're not just talking about 25-man rosters in the majors. We're talking about rosters at AAA, at AA, at Class A advanced, at Class A full season, you know, short season slash rookie level, uh, more complexes. Uh, this is just more opportunities for guys to earn their dream. That, that means more potential really cool stories of, you know, 40th round picks or really late round picks 
to become special players. You know, they're, everybody kind of gets bumped up the chain a little bit. People who may have missed out on the draft before now become draft picks. Now, uh, you know, guys who may have been cut in their first year, they may get a slightly longer look. Um, I think that's good in general. Um, you know, I, I usually lean a little bit towards the player side. This means more jobs for players, which I think is good. Um, you know, we'll talk to Ben about this later in this podcast, but also later in the offseason about, okay, what does this actually mean for the miners? There's a lot of new stadiums that need to be built if this were to come to fruition, or there are a lot of decisions that need to be made about where these affiliates are going to be, not only geographically speaking, but what leagues they're going to be. Um, you know, there's three there's three leagues in double A AA and triple A. So you can't just put two teams, one in the California league and one in the Carolina league and call it even that makes uh, too much of a mix match. So do you put two teams in one league and that kind of becomes a little bit more of a super league than it was before that. These are all questions we're going to have. Uh, it's, it's very early right now, but I think my overall interpretation of the news or the possibility that this could come, you know, as far line, as far down the line as that may be, is that it does mean more jobs for players, more jobs for coaches, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's exciting. Um, that that's some, certainly something as somebody who covers the sport we want to see. Um, but yeah, there's still so many questions that remain unanswered. Like you said, that that story wasn't exactly incredibly well sourced to the point where it, I feel like this is going to happen anytime soon. It's, it's more just kind of a buzzworthy topic. Um, but, you know, it gets us thinking, it, it gets us kind of prepared for if this does inevitably happen. Um, now we're thinking more about what that could mean. And, you know, we'll have more answers for that down the line this offseason um, if it becomes more of a real thing. But at least this this starts the wheels turning at the very least. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to put it. It was a topic of conversation for us on Twitter the last couple of days. And we did have somebody point out to us, um, you know, where the, the AAA or AA affiliates should be for some of these teams was part of the discussion. Somebody said, well, for AAA, Ottawa and Vancouver should definitely be in the mix, especially if one of these teams is Canadian. I think that is um, an interesting idea. I also, it just made me think, Back to a story I did, um, I think that was earlier this year, I think it was before the start of the 2017 season, about the dissolution of the American Association, which was the old third AAA league, and now it's down to just the Pacific Coast League and the International League. And I remember being told by um, some AAA administrators that the, the intricacies, the logistics of consistent travel between Canadian cities and American cities from minor league teams got to be a very big hassle, especially post 9-11. So I'd be interested to see what the discussion is if those are, because those markets are certainly very good markets and have a lot of potential as minor league markets, but would the hassle of that be worth um, the expansion into those markets? So all those discussions will be really fascinating to watch. Um, and it's, if it happens, when it happens, it's going to be cool. It'll be exciting. It'll be fun. Um, but there, we are a long way from that. This is a very early story. Obviously, there is not the smoke of a story like this without at least some type of fire. So I'm sure there are discussions going on somewhere, um, but there was nothing definitive in that story as to what exactly that came from or what a timetable could look like for this. We'll hear from Benjamin Hill on his thoughts on this topic coming up in a little bit, but pump the brakes on it. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about. It doesn't look like it's imminent um, as of right now, but it's certainly uh, an interesting topic of conversation. Um, so that is strike two. Strike three this week, Sam. 
Org All-Stars are here. We've been rolling through and we are through the seas now, I believe. Um, what has stood out to you? We name our top players in each minor league system every year by the best systems that prospects tune, turned in for that season. So it's not based on prospect status or whether or not somebody is highly regarded or is at this stage of their career, whatever. It's just the best season for each player at each position in a minor league system. What stood out to you so far about the uh, Org All-Stars to this point? Yeah, um, so for anybody who is a fan of the following systems, you can find your, your teams up there now. Uh, that's you know the D-backs, the Rockies, the Cubs, the Reds, the Braves, the White Sox, the Orioles, and the Red Sox. I wrote up the Red Sox. Uh, I won't be touching on them now, but you know check out that system if you're a Red Sox fan who you know your team is now out of the playoffs. Uh, you're going to be looking towards the future. Are there you know holes to fill? Uh, you can find out some of that in that Red Sox piece. The, the organization I want to touch on here pretty quickly is the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, you heard a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Austin Hayes. He's obviously the breakout prospect of the year in that system. Uh, he's up for an offensive player of the year. Milby led the minors in total bases, um, you know, just became the guy in that system this year. But there are so many other guys who have become, you know, standout prospects in a system that we definitely had towards the bottom of the minors. You know, they were pretty consistently 25 or below entering the year uh, in terms of how we ranked farm systems. Basically because when you looked at it, there wasn't really much incredible talent outside of maybe Chance Cisco, uh, who, you know, uh, Alex Kraft wrote the, the Oregon All-Stars up for us. Chance Cisco was a pretty easy pick. He played 97 games this year at AAA Norfolk. Uh, I caught up with him you know, during the Futures game where he caught Brent Honeywell, uh, talked about what it was like to face him. He remains kind of the catcher of the future, even though Wellington Castillo had a really good year for them this year. Uh, you know, he's still there, but you've got Austin Hayes, who is now a top 100 prospect. you got Ryan Mountcastle, who's now in the fall league and is knocking on the door of being a top 100 guy. Uh, he was a shortstop at Frederick. He moved over to third base in, in Bowie. Uh, he's going to be a third baseman in the fall league. He's a very, very good bat. They need to figure out what to do with him defensively. But, you know, he's definitely somebody who they think can be a big part of their future. Still only 20 years old. Uh, he hit 314 with an 885 OPS in 88 games at Frederick. Saw those numbers tail off at Bowie, uh, 222 and 605 OPS with three homers and 39 games at the higher level. Uh, but his bat is good enough to get excited. So he's definitely somebody to pay attention to. Um, but there, there are some of the names you might not know quite yet that I think you should at least pay attention to at the lower levels when it comes to pitching. Uh, Alex Wells had one of the standout years of the minors for me just because it, his walk rate was so uh, eye-popping. He only walked 10 batters in 140 innings, which is incredible. Um, the, the fact that you can find a pitcher who is going to pitch 140 innings in the minors is usually a fairly rare case, but he gave himself a shot pitching at Class A Del Marva this year because his control was so special. Uh, what's going to happen to that when he goes up the chain? You know, sometimes guys with special control, you really need to be pinpoint because if your stuff is not at least really, really good, um, guys are going to find ways to hit it. You know, Kyle Hendricks is a guy who kind of marries those two concepts. Uh, his changeup is excellent and his control is really good. Will Wells be that type of pitcher? I, I don't quite see it just yet, but the season he had – Definitely puts him on a watch list for 2018. And at a le level below that, uh, Brennan Hanafee was the right-handed 
pitcher in that system. Uh, fourth rounder in 2016 had a back injury that didn't allow him to pitch last year, uh, but he posted a 2.75 ERA over 68 and two thirds innings. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's much top level pitching in that system yet, um, but when you con- combine the bats that they have now that are knocking on the door or already in the top 100 and these just really intriguing lower level arms, you know, this Oriole system I think is much improved to where we thought it would be in April. And that that's all coming internally. That's not because they traded for anybody. This is not like a White Sox style rebuild. Uh, these are just players they had in the system who have gotten significantly better than they were at the start of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is a system we have to pay attention more to uh, give more attention to uh, at the start of next year than we necessarily have in the past. You know what I found interesting was I got a chance to write up the Chicago Cubs this year, and we talk so often about the way systems are built nowadays and how you draft, how you develop, and you hope you bring these guys through and they graduate and they're all winning as they come through the minor leagues. They know how to win by the time they get to the big leagues, contend for championships, maybe win a championship, that type of stuff. Right now, we're kind of in the middle of the transitional phase for the Chicago Cubs, and so often you look at a team as all of that stuff grows and blossoms in the minor leagues and then when it gets to the major leagues and all the success that's had there and then teams go through rebuilds the cubs right now are nowhere near a rebuild in the major league level but that system from where it was two three four five years ago is so different now and that's not to say that it is a down system but a few years ago we're talking about in these stories and in our prospect primers we're talking about javi baez and chris bryan kyle schwarber and wilson Contreras and all this talent and it's not that same level of system anymore um there are still definitely some good contributors there um guys victor caratini obviously had a very very good season this year uh behind the plate also got some time elsewhere um jen hosang was fantastic the right-handed starting pitcher who started the year with tennessee made it up to iowa then made it up to Chicago. Um, but it's really interesting just to watch how a system, when it finally pushes all of that elite talent to the major leagues, then there is much less separation in the best in the system from the guys who are probably going to be the also rands in the system. I just found that interesting. It's not to knock the Cubs system because it was the best system in baseball for so long. Um, but you see when a uh, an established core gets to the major leagues and when that window of contention has opened and is going to be open for a while, the Cubs right now don't need these elite pieces that they've had from the minor league system and we've seen that case in point with the guys who they've traded away like Glaber Torres and Eloy Jimenez because they've used currency in forms of elite prospects at the minor league level to bring in big pieces that have contributed to championship runs they got there last year trying to do the same this year um so that's a fascinating aspect of this to me um seeing some of these systems that are in stages right now in which we don't often talk about systems in those stages and that was really interesting to me about this cubs organization right now it's not the sexiest take and it's not the most interesting thing to read about probably but just the way that that thing was built it accomplished its goal it's striving to do the same now in 2017 um at the major league level and things look vastly different at the minor league level and it's all part of the the circle of life in sports i guess it was really interesting to to research and to write yeah and and the complicated thing about the cubs now is you know 
will there be a point at which they crater? Obviously, they're a big right. market. They they can spend their way out to compete or to compete and contend uh, going forward, and that's probably their plan. But a lot of what makes some of these other teams good is is their depth. Right. And I I think part of the reason why when we're recording this, you're seeing the Cubs down three nothing is they don't have the bullpen depth. Yeah. Of obviously the Dodgers or you know certainly the Yankees. Um, and that hurts them, and they don't have the internal options to turn to and say, well, we'll, we'll turn so-and-so into a reliever, and it, it'll solve itself. Uh, obviously, it worked last year, and that's the goal is to win a World Series, and that's great. And you know, But the reason why they don't have a Glaber Torres anymore is because they traded him for that reliever that kind of was supposed to solve the issue in Aroldis Chapman. He's gone now. Um, so is there going to be a point at which – you know, the Cubs kind of bang into a ceiling and they got that one World Series. But these teams with deeper systems, the Astros, the the Dodgers certainly are two who kind of stream past them because they have the pipelines to continually fill these spots. And when injuries happen, as they inevitably do, that's when that depth will kind of be challenged. The, the Cubs have been pretty good at that in the last two years. And in terms of, you know, Ian Happ steps up, becomes a regular contributor, and that helps. And uh, you know, like all the names you mentioned, Bryant, Schwarber, Russell, Baez, Rizzo, these are all guys coming from the minors, Wilson Contreras, that kind of thing. Um, but at a certain point, they don't they run out of that currency to get a, a Jose Quintana or an Araldis Chapman. So what does that mean for the, the Cubs in 2018 and going forward will be fascinating. And what can they do to rebuild that system? We'll, we'll be keeping a close eye on. And again, Cubs fans are going to be all up in the mentions this the whole point of all of it is to do what you did in 2016 that's the whole yeah. point of building a right. system it's a whole point of having these guys to trade it's the whole point of developing these guys through the system the mission was accomplished so this is not to knock if anything this is more a congratulation a congratulatory pat on the back that hey you did the job it's just sustaining it. getting there is one thing sustaining it is something entirely different and it is extraordinarily difficult in any sport but especially in baseball to be able to sustain that level of success for several years in a row which is why it's impressive that the cubs have been now to three straight league championship series. The Dodgers have won five straight division titles. But, you know, the Yankees have had down years. The Red Sox have finished in last place several times over the last few years. There are no longer these teams that go out, shell out nine-figure payrolls, win a division year after year after year after year after year, and are always there, always in the discussion, always in the conversation. Maybe the Dodgers are that team in Major League Baseball right now, but the Dodgers haven't been to the World Series since Ronald Reagan was president. The Astros three years ago were put on the cover of Sports Illustrated forecasted to win the 2017 World Series and that was like a laughing stock at the time people who didn't see what the Astros were building thought this has to be a joke this has to be something to sell magazines and get clicks but to get there again is one thing being able to sustain that over a consistent several years of a run is really really tough so um yeah that's, this, I mean, it was just an interesting the minors, thing. Though. right the whole point of this is what's next Right. You know, that that's where we have to keep our focus is what's coming after this and, and you know, what's in the pipeline, what's coming up through the system. Um, so, yeah, as much as it sounds like we are not necessarily knocking the Cubs system, but calling it what it is, um, we know that the, the goal has already been achieved. And, and um, but, you know, 2016 was 2016. We're now in 2017, almost closing the book on that. So we, we have to keep looking forward and kind of pushing you know, keep asking the questions and keep looking and trying to predict uh, what's coming after that.
One last important note about the Cubs. Um, Jake Signer's doppelganger, Ryan Williams, spent this year at AAA Iowa as well. Um, so maybe we will see him in the big leagues in 2018. Rest in peace, Jake, the original uh, co-host of the show before the show. Um, been a long time since we've had an R.I.P. Jake joke on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we were able to bust that out again. Uh, three strikes wrapping up for the sixth edition of the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Dodgers organization and catch up with catcher Will Smith, who will dive into his injury-shortened 2017, but the start to his campaign in the Arizona Fall League, what it was like to play at the University of Louisville, and a whole lot more. That's coming up on episode number 132 of the show before the show from MILB.com next. Well, Sam wanted to get us, uh, and very alertly, wanted to get us a prospect who was a member of a major league postseason organization and also a player who was taking part in the Arizona Fall League. And the guy who goes two for two in those categories for us this week is the eighth-ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, catcher Will Smith. Will, welcome to the show. How's things in Arizona? Going well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. You guys get a chance as Dodgers guys to do this at home in the AFL, and we talk about that sometimes with guys who have the experience already at a facility where you get to play in the fall league, and it's kind of an added bonus for you guys because you sort of get to be the ambassadors, your home ballpark. You and the White Sox guys can show the other dudes around, members of the Desert Dogs, but there's a lot of familiarity there too, and being somebody who's just in your first full year in pro ball, is it nice getting to be at a place that you're already, you know, somewhat comfortable in? You're playing high-level competition. You're playing with guys you haven't played with before against a lot of guys you haven't seen before. What's it been like getting a chance to do that in the AFL and do it in Glendale? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. It's definitely nice being at our uh, at our own, own ballpark and uh, just the uh, surroundings here. They're familiar, so that makes it just a little bit easier to kind of get to know guys because you're the guy at home. But, uh, yeah, it's just – it's fun to get to know these guys and uh, and make good friendships with uh, a bunch of future MLB guys. Well, let's talk about the AFL campaign. Will got things started this year with Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga, uh, played 72 games there for the Quakes, then got a bump up to A Tulsa. We'll talk about why it was a shortened stay in Tulsa here in a little bit. But you get back in after some time away from the field due to an injury and now taking part in the AFL, a hot start. Um, it's different for catchers because if you are – a left fielder, you go to the AFL, you kind of know what you're working on, know what you're, you're trying to do. For catchers, you guys get down there. You've got to learn an entirely new pitching staff for the most part, guys you've never known or caught or worked with before, um, but you've gotten off to a really good start. What's contributed to that, and how has the, the process of getting acclimated to catching new guys gone for you so far? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a process, and it's several conversations with, with each, each and every uh, pitcher. But, yeah, I mean, you go through it during spring training where you're meeting new guys at different levels. Um, you have to catch them. So it's just, it's just trying to get to know what pitches they throw, what they do well and don't do well. And yeah, it's just kind of talking to them, getting to know them and just kind of getting a feel for them. And, um, you know, as Tyler alluded to, we should get into why you're here. Um, you know, you get that bump to double a Tulsa first game, you get hit in the hand. It's a broken right hand. You don't play for Tulsa the rest of the year. Um, so right now on your resume, there's that one double a game, um, you know, just take us through what the recovery was from that injury. You know, when, when you had the discussion with the Dodgers that you were going to be headed to the fall league and, you know, what kind of, what kind of approach you have to being there? Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a major setback this year getting injured and it was even more disappointing. That was the first game up there, but yeah, it was, 
several conversations throughout the whole rehab process, like, hey, is there any way I can get some extra at-bats somewhere? And uh, the fall league was definitely a discussion. And fortunately enough for me, um, they gave me that opportunity to come here and get those extra at-bats that I missed throughout the season. So, I mean, it just came down to the front office, wanted to give me a chance, and uh, I'm pretty grateful for it. So was that a conversation you had started? You know, when were you starting to feel like you could have come back? Was it at the end of or early September, or how did that rehab process kind of work? You know, coming back from a hand injury. Yeah, I mean the timetable was four to six weeks, which put me right at the end of the season. So talking with the trainers and uh, a doctor too, they're like, um, "Let's just probably take it slow. Probably done for the rest of the season unless." somehow miraculously I heal quickly but yeah it was pretty much shut down the rest of the regular season and then I'll definitely come back for instructs and then possibly the fall league and, and so what what was it like coming back from that injury you know being a catcher because obviously you you're working with your hands a lot anyway um mm -hmm. you know trying to work that position but also you're trying to hit and like Tyler you know alluded to as well you know it's been a, a good comeback for you so far I think you're five for 14 uh, so far in your first four games with Glendale, um, you know, how, how was the rehab process trying to regain the strength in the hand and, and getting to a place where you were comfortable, not only to hit, but to catch again? Yeah. I mean, I think it first of all came down to just, I put in the time in the weight room with my strength conditioning when I couldn't do anything with my hand. And I think the trainer said that would really help speed up the process when I could start strengthening my wrist back up and getting mobility in it. Um, and then when I was able to start hitting, just took it slow, took it off the tee, eventually the flips, then the on-field BP. Um, so, yeah, I was just kind of getting those reps back in, just taking it one day at a time, and then also trying to get my arm back in shape since it was my right wrist. My arm got pretty weak, so I was doing a nice throwing program, shoulder program to to help get back on the field quickly. Well, let's talk about the start to the season. You go uh, out of camp with Rancho, 72 games in the California League, but you got kind of an advanced scout look at the Cal League by finishing 2016 there, 25 games with the Quakes at the end of your debut season. How do you think that helped prepare you for 2017, just kind of knowing what to expect at that level? Obviously, a, a big jump from what you saw in rookie ball um, to get the year started with Ogden, then you're up with Great Lakes for a little while. Then you do get that little time in with Rancho. How did that prepare you for 2017 in the Cal League? Yeah, I mean, it was just – I knew what the fields were like. Um, I had a previous relationship with the coaches from the year before. And, uh, and yeah, it just made it a little bit easier going back and knowing where I was going to be. Um, and, yeah, just kind of having a feel for that league and how the ball plays in there. Um, and, yeah, it just made it a little bit more comfortable, which was nice for this year. When you are at that level – and then you get a chance to finally get that call to double A. It seems like that's when it starts to settle in that you're at the the stages of your minor league career where you're really going against the cream of the crop type of guys. Um, and to have mm -hmm. conquered the high A level and then get that chance, albeit briefly, in double A. How did you feel about, you know, you're only one year out of school, but already having an impressive start to your pro career. What was your confidence level like when you got that call to Tulsa, kind of knowing where you were in the, the grand scope of your baseball career headed toward the big leagues? Yeah, I mean, I was very happy to get that call and uh, very honored. But, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a big step. Um, just knowing, like, hey, I'm just now a couple calls away from 
significant up to where I want to be. But, but yeah, I mean, every guy down here dreams of moving up every day. Um, so yeah, it was nice. It was fun. It was a fun trip up there for a few short days. <laughs> <laughs> so far in uh, in your pro career, who are the guys that you've enjoyed catching the most over your first couple of seasons in the system? Oh, man, I've caught a lot of them. Uh, I mean, the big leaguers are always fun. Got to catch some of them during spring training. Uh, but then on the minor league side, I mean, we had a guy in Rancho for a while, Walker Bueller, who made his de- debut this year. He's he's fun to catch. He's really good. We have another guy in Mitch White with the Dodgers. Uh, I mean, there's tons of guys with our organization that are fun. And then now being here at the uh, AZL, I mean, get to see guys in different organizations. Um, you kind of learn how they do stuff. So it's cool here. And kind of flipping over to offense, um, you know, this year mm-hmm. when you were at Rancho, you hit 11 homers in 72 games. Obviously, California League is a pretty homer-friendly league, but that, still that's a pretty significant jump for you. You know, you only hit two homers, I think, in 2015 back at Louisville. Um, kind of talk about the progression of your power game and how you were able to kind of tap into that a little bit more this year than maybe in previous seasons. Yeah, I mean, my freshman and sophomore years in college, there wasn't much production on the uh, power side. Um, junior year, there was a lot more. Uh, and then basically this offseason, putting in work with the hitting coaches, with the Dodgers, um, just kind of learning how to do it and how to do it correctly. Um, and then just being able to translate it into the games is what I was kind of learning this year. And uh I thought I did a decent job, but I mean, there's definitely still stuff to work on. Um, and I think it just keep getting better for me. And kind of on the other side of the ball, you know, going back to de- defensive work, um, you know, you're really known for having a really strong arm. I think you threw out 30 of 63 attempted base dealers this year, but the Dodgers also tried you out at second base at third base. You know, they have a guy in the majors right now in Austin Barnes who had done that in the system yep. and has done that a little bit at the major league level. You know, what was that conversation like to, to get you to, to play a little bit of infield just for a couple of games here and there? And what was that transition like for you? Uh, I mean, it wasn't too bad for me. I had definitely an infield background from high school. Um, that's what I played in high school was the infield. Didn't really catch much. But, like, in college, I always take ground balls during batting practice and stuff just, just to kind of work on my hands and my footwork, which I like to do because that translates over to catching for me. It kind of keeps me more athletic, but yeah, it was fun to get back out in the infield this year and, uh, and get some games in second and third. Well, let's talk a little bit about your college days. Um, we we love talking to guys mm-hmm. from the big time programs, and Louisville, uh, you know, hires a, a headman for that program in Dan McDonald, who goes in 2006 from taking the job of a team that was just over 500 to 2007, uh-huh. taking them to Omaha, going to the College World Series. And this is kind of an interesting fact that I didn't know, but Louisville did not produce a single first round pick until Kyle Funkhauser in 2015, and then you go his catcher in the first round in 2016. So tell us about what that program has been like I mean it's a, a decade now of really sustained success but what makes Louisville special and what makes the development of you guys and the elite talent around you special yeah I mean it definitely the whole baseball program starts with Dan McDonald who did who's done an excellent job there um, since he came and yeah I mean I actually grew up in Louisville so I got to see the whole program grow and where it was at to where it is now but yeah I mean it came down to him surrounding himself with the right people of that program. I mean, the coaches are great. The trainer, the weight coach is great. 
and just came down to when I was there, just a lot of hard work. And I'm sure that's what they were doing the years before is just putting in the work to get better and uh, just starting to pay off the last couple of years now. And how much are you following, you know, your, your fellow Cardinals in the minors? You know, Corey Ray was a fifth overall pick. You know, Brendan McKay was fourth overall this year, was rumored to be in the conversation for 1-1, um, obviously coming off a strong year. Zach Birdie, you know, mm-hmm. in the White Sox system. Um, you know, how, how much are you following those guys? How much are you guys keeping track of each other and, and keeping in contact? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we have a group chat going with everyone I played with, um, the guys are constantly putting stuff in there, just normal stuff that we'd talk about when we were back in college. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to see your teammates you played three years in college with have such great success in pro ball and, and really making moves towards getting to the big leagues, which is where pretty much everyone that went there wants to end up. So it's cool. It's fun to see your friends and your buddies for life just keep succeeding on the field. And do you guys talk about how, you know, pro success could even more buoy, you know, the, the college program, you know, if you, if recruits are seeing, you know, guys like you, McKay, Ray, all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. succeed at the major league level. And then seeing on your, you know, bio that you went to the university of Louisville, do you guys talk about carrying that kind of pride for the program into the the minors, or is it just kind of a, a brotherhood that's just stuck together? Yeah. I mean, it's, probably more of the brotherhood that's stuck together but it's also learning that work work ethic down in college um that was instilled in us that we carry over to pro ball where it's coming out and winning each day and uh, getting better every day which in turns is probably gonna end up with some good careers for a lot of guys that come out of that program Will, for uh, a personal note for you, you are very luckily, I would say, a guy born March 28th, 1995. I feel like you missed a lot of the Will Smith jokes that you would have had to deal with had you been born like five to ten years earlier. But how annoying does it get having to deal with Will Smith jokes? And on a minor league flair, when you go on the road places, do road teams play Will Smith music for you when you come to the plate? Oh, yeah, just about every ballpark does. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> what's it's the always, what's the yeah, like? Is it always the same song? Do you always get like Big Willie style, or is like it? Is it mixed up? Uh, there's probably a good five songs <laughs> or so that that's played every time. <laughs> So now being at, at this level uh, and knowing that you're probably not going to have to deal with that for too long, um, it, what is the, the biggest thing that you're working on as you get to, you know, you, you get the, the double exposure, probably going to spend some time in Tulsa next year, but the AFL provides you such an opportunity to work on stuff, obviously with some of the lost innings toward the end of the season, but just to get mm-hmm. additional work in before 2018, what's the biggest thing on your list that you want to try to accomplish or you want to work on through the next few weeks in the AFL? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is just getting me at bats I missed in. Um, but I really want to keep improving my bat. Um, I feel like my catching has been doing really well. And there's always stuff to improve catching-wise. But, yeah, I mean, the biggest focus for me is just improving my bat and showing what I can do on the offensive side. And, obviously, you are playing right now while the Dodgers, as we're talking, you know, up 3-0 in the LCS. Mm-hmm. How much of a trickle-down does that affect? or trickle down effect does that have to you guys, you know, even during the regular season, as much success as the major league club was having, and then into the postseason with, you know, the Dodgers contingent in the fall league. Yeah. How much, how much does that trickle down to you guys and give you confidence that you're playing in such a successful organization? 
Oh, I mean, it definitely shows that the whole organization in LA is, is moving in the right direction. Um, and it shows, and then you can see all the guys that have come out of the farm system, like Bellinger, Seager, that are having such success at the big league level. And it's, it just kind of puts that in the back of your mind, like, Hey, trust the process that's going on here. We're all going to get our shot at some point. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's pretty fun to watch because you get to meet those guys at spring training and to see the success they're having and the postseason's awesome. So it's fun. He is Will Smith, the eighth ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, the Louisville native, the University of Louisville product. And very impressively, as I told Will before we started recording today, um, he went out with the broken hand on July 10th. But for whatever reason, there's a clerical error on one of our uh, stat servers that shows that Will actually went one for one with a pinch hit single against Springfield on July 31st. So a phantom single that never occurred actually gives Will a 500 AA batting average and a 1250 OPS. So pretty impressive work for uh, a broken hand and not actually having had that at bat well thanks a ton for giving us the time man though and uh, and good luck in the afl best of luck um getting ready for 2018 we'll be watching in uh, in tulsa and okc and beyond man enjoy it yeah thank you i appreciate it Benjamin Hill joins us uh, every week to discuss the business of minor league baseball. And this week we have a topic that sort of uh, uh, impacts major league baseball and how it could affect the minor leagues. We'll get into it here in a sec. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, Tyler. I'm, I'm well, and I'm sitting next to Sam, who I presume is also well. Also well. Also well. Okay. That's two wells. We're two for two on the wells. Um, there was a story this week. Ben from Baseball America that the concept of uh, expanding Major League Baseball is growing in momentum. We'll discuss this a little bit more in depth and we'll discuss it. We'll revisit this as the story develops some legs. Um, but let's just get your quick reaction to this. If there was uh, a period of expansion, this is the longest the Major League Baseball has gone without expansion in a couple of generations. There is an idea that maybe Portland and Montreal would be two cities that are at the forefront of an expansion uh, movement in Major League Baseball to go to 32 teams. Strictly from a minor league standpoint, what would this mean? It obviously means 12 additional affiliations, um, but... Have you given uh, an idea to what this could look like, Ben, if this did happen, where these teams would be added, how they would fit into these leagues? How would this impact franchise alignment in the minors? I mean, I've given it some thought, um, I guess, as a lot of baseball fans have. Uh, I do not have any you know, inside information at the time. This will certainly be a topic, uh, you know, as you said, to revisit uh, further into the offseason. Um, but there's so, you know, people think of this, first and foremost, as just a major league issue. Oh my goodness, Major League Baseball is going to have 32 teams instead of 30. But like you said, that means there's going to be two new AAA teams, two new AA teams, two new Class A advanced teams, and two uh, Class A teams, let alone some combination of new uh, short season and rookie level teams. And the first thought there is, well, right now there are 160 uh, PDCs, player development contracts, guaranteed between Major and Minor League Baseball. You know, that is part of the professional baseball agreement, um, you know, the the governing contract between major and minor league baseball that currently calls for, calls for 160 affiliation agreements. Um, that will expire at the end of 2020, and obviously if expansion is an issue, it will also be an issue, um, you know, how many affiliations minor league baseball gets guaranteed based on how many major league teams there are. Um, 
So it'll be interesting to see because where are these teams necessarily going to go? I mean, obviously you need triple A teams, you need double A teams, um, but where? You know, so we were uh, talking about this on Twitter just a little bit yesterday, and someone said, okay, if it's Portland and Montreal, then Portland's triple A is Vancouver and uh, Montreal's is Ottawa. And that sounds reasonable, but then you think, does Vancouver have a triple A ready stadium? Nat Bailey Stadium, where Vancouver used to be, or where uh, Nat Bailey Stadium, which is now the home of the Northwest League Vancouver Canadians, um, that used to be a triple A stadium, but I think in the year 2017, it probably doesn't meet the specs. And, uh, you know, it's a very old ballpark. So would Vancouver have any shot of, you know, housing a triple A team? And so there's just going to be question upon question, no matter what scenario you get into. And you also have to think that whenever year that major league baseball adds these two teams if and when um you know the minor league uh they're going to start the farm teams playing prior to that season like right. the uh, short season teams um in 98 when there was expansion um the short season teams for those two new, new franchises tampa bay and uh, arizona you know they started playing in 96 short season and then had full season teams in 97 prior to the major league teams um you know appearing in uh, 1998 so minor league baseball will need a lot of leeway, uh, let you know, a lot of room before this all starts to you know get all their ducks in a row. It's going to have to be in close cooperation with minor league, with major league baseball, obviously. And uh, you know we've seen the pace of stadium construction slow down greatly um, in recent years. It's you know really hard to obtain funding, and uh, always a debate, and rightfully so. And so to think that we're in an era now where there's maybe one new stadium a year. And all of a sudden, we need eight new teams. It's it's a very interesting thing. So I need to look into this. Uh, all I'm saying is there's a lot of questions. I mean, I think it is going to be a lot more complicated web. And like you said, you know, the reaction was, what would a team in Portland look like? What would a team in Montreal look like? But there's obviously so many other ramifications that that follows. It, it, you know, again, we'll get more into this, but it would be, does Bakersfield enter the conversation again because they have a stadium or you know, how would that kind of work out at, at some of the lower levels? And, and I really think that's not the answer. I no, mean, no, no, no. minor league baseball right now is trying to, you know, all the facilities that have waivers to, you know, allow them to be minor league stadiums while not meeting, you know, the technically technical specifications for being professional affiliated stadiums. I think the last thing both parties want to do is make a whole bunch of exceptions for subpar facilities. Right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah a so lot of moving parts. Answer after that and all that. So, right. yeah, we'll, we'll be able to get more into that. I think as the the season kind of goes along, um, one thing we should touch on quickly because um, we didn't get a chance to last week. Uh, you know, voting is coming to a close for the Milbies, but you know this is your kind of chance to explain. You you're the one who gets to pick the promo of the year candidates. So so take us through you know which ones made the cut here and and what some of your favorite promos of the year were at least you know as voted on by fans in the last couple of weeks. Right. Uh, Milby Award voting is going on now. We'll end Friday. We're speaking here on Wednesday, and I assume this podcast will appear uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah, yes. Yeah, on Thursday. Uh, so uh, your time to vote is running out. Um, you know, every year, I've been doing this for years, uh, choosing the 10 nominees for the Promo of the Year Milby Award. And, um, I mean, in a sense, are these my 10 favorite promos? Certainly some of them are my favorite promos, but it's not just about what's my favorite, but it's about representing different aspects, different trends, and, uh, you know, trying to have, and, and, and always, always, always trying to recognize originality and things that haven't been done before. So this year I picked uh, the Akron Rubber Ducks, a League of Their Own Night. Several teams did uh, League of Their Own Nights. Uh, I went with Akron because they were the ones who, uh, who first brought Marla Hooch. 
uh, to the bobble uh, to the bobblehead to the ballpark, and uh, they gave out her own bobbleheads. And uh, it seemed like there was a lot of uh, you know secondary elements to that promotion that really made it work. Um, I felt like food had to be represented in some kind because that's such a trend. And I went with Albuquerque, the green chili cheeseburgers. Uh, real successful night for them. First time Albuquerque ever adopted a food themed identity. And also, I think what put it over the top for me is that they played the Fresno tacos. You know, usually teams only adopt their, you know, temporary food identities at home, but Fresno went on the road and played as the tacos against the green chili cheeseburgers. Uh, and Charleston, the world's largest silly string fight. You know, I, I know some guys in the front office there well. Uh, you know, I've Including Bill Murray now. Including Bill Murray. I'm the only guy Bill Murray knows. Uh, check it out. Check my pin tweet. Um, <laughs> But the Silly String fight was kind of a disaster in the sense that it took all night to clean it up. It made a mess of the ballpark. But if you're really willing to go the extra mile for fans and create such a spectacle, such a visual, such a mess, uh, you got to give the River Dogs so much credit for just giving giving away thousands of cans of Silly String or 4,025 cans of Silly String and having fans shoot it off during the seventh inning stretch. I mean, that's something if, you know, it, we're, it's minor league baseball. And what's one of the biggest cliches? We're in the memory making business. So that is a memory that they made. Uh, that Corpus also Christi, must have been a very strange eighth and ninth inning. Just if you were on the it's field, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, people great, cleaning a, themselves off. There's a great photo from that night um, taken across the field from the third base side towards the first base side, and you just see these streams of color all <laughs> over the air and the pitcher just, like, warming up in the midst of it, you know, like nothing was happening. And that's, like, minor league baseball in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Corpus Christi, I went with the Dio, Dia de los Hooks night um you know obviously a lot of a uh, huge mexican population in corpus christi day of the dead dio uh, it was a dia de los uh, muertos dia de los muertos uh, the day of the dead is a huge holiday uh, observed there uh, in corpus christi so they incorporated it into a long weekend ballpark with truly one of the coolest uh, logos you know incorporating those uh, traditional mexican elements uh, so the hooks became you know dio de los hooks and celebrated their own day of the dead uh, Bob Ross night, which has gotten probably more um, attention than any promotion this year, uh, the Daytona Tortugas. Uh, Bob Ross was a native of Daytona. This promo already won the Golden Bobblehead Award, which is voted on by people within the industry at the promo seminar. You know, they gave away the Bob Ross bobblehead, had a happy little 5K run, had art instructors at the ballpark, had the you know Bob Ross-themed food specials. They really blew it out. Uh, Daytona has done a great job this year, or they did a great job. Uh, you know, really uh, going the extra mile with their promos, and Bob Ross night really stood out. I uh, had to go with Erie for alternative facts night. You know, we've talked about this before. You're walking a real thin line, very much a tightrope when you're a minor league baseball team and you step into the world of politics. But they were able to play both sides pretty well, uh, get some pretty good digs in, and they had one of the most coveted and absurd giveaways of the year when, as part of alternative facts night, they gave away championship rings for a championship that they did not win. You know when they allegedly went 140 and zero in 2016. So that's a super creative promotion. Louisville, Muhammad Ali Appreciation Night. He's a Louisville native, and um, they uh, the bats kicked off a full on um, Muhammad Ali tribute weekend on the anniversary of his death with a night in Ali's uh, honor at the ballpark with theme jerseys and a lot of special guests. Um, so you know when, when Muhammad Ali is from your hometown, you you got to honor an American icon like that. You know, someone stood up, who stood up to the powers that be uh, was really controversial, suffered for his beliefs, and then was loved and beloved four years later um, for the rest of his life. Oh, to Tommy John's surgery statue, Potomac Nationals. 
uh, they literally gave away a statue showing the exposed uh, ulnar collateral ligament in the statue as a tribute to baseball's most infamous surgery. So certainly one of the most creative giveaways there. And finally, Salem, or not finally, penultimately, the Salem-Kaiser Eclipse Fest. You know, a lot of teams in the path of totality did promotions on the day of the Eclipse. I was in Columbia, who did a great job. I uh, chose Salem-Kaiser, though, because they were the first to announce and really set the template for these Eclipse-themed promos. Um, you know, the Eclipse hit on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest just a little after 9 in the morning. So they played an AM game and uh, you know, wore special jerseys and, again, set the template for what was truly uh, the most memorable thing you could ever do at a minor league ballpark, which is stop the game on account of darkness and then restart it a couple minutes later when it's not dark anymore. And finally, Spokane Indians Red Band Rally. Um, the Red Band Trout lives in the Spokane River, and uh, the team has partnered with uh, the local Indian tribe and conservation uh, organizations to raise awareness and funds to clean up the river and help the trout. Uh, had an alternate uh, Red Band uh, trout identity on the baseball caps, and so like a lot of real good uh, locally oriented uh, philanthropic effort with a really cool logo. And uh, Spokane has always done that sort of stuff really well. So there's the run-through, guys. I hope I didn't bore anyone too much. Listeners, I hope I didn't bore you too much. If I bored you, tweet at me at Ben's Biz and tell me why you were bored. (laughs) And go vote also, which is still time to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can still do that. Um, There's a a piece up on the blog that we also have to get to. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic, which is uh, a very Ben Hill topic in minor league baseball, uh, the most Ben Hill topic, joined together at last – Tell us about this one. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it last. I've, I've found excuses to write weird about <laughs> weird out throughout my, my career. But, you know, last week I finally put up my last, uh, you know, in-season blog post, um, you know, the last little bit I had from my actual road trips. And then transitioning to the off-season is, is very difficult for me because after all that, after uh, planning all the trips and going on them and writing about them and getting all the material out, there's always this feeling of like, huh, now it's the off-season. What do I do? So, you know, I kind of indulged myself and Weird Al – my all-time hero, announced the tour I've been waiting for for decades in which he's not doing one of his elaborately produced parody-centric shows, which are great, but they're always the same because they are you know, hyper-planned multimedia extravaganzas. He's going on the road starting in March uh, on a tour where he's playing originals in a stripped-down setting with his band. And uh, so I looked at the tour, found uh, uh, numerous examples of when he's going to be visiting minor league towns during the minor league season, and, uh, you know, highlighted all those different cities and uh, picked an original song to pair with each specific minor league show. And I have rationale for all those uh, picks, but they're all very obscure. But go to the As blog. You could. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is a Ben's Biz exclusive in every sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. I think you said it was peak Ben's Biz. It was peak Ben's Biz. Uh, someone else said it was uh, John Parker in our office, said it was uh, the most pure Ben's Biz post. <laughs> Uh, this is me. I'm just a just a 30-something-year-old man who writes about Weird Al and tries to tie into my actual job in minor league baseball, <laughs> and who is single, who is actually single, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, hey, tell your friends. So it, it, in a way, is this your your preview for your trip next year? People have gotten on Twitter and email. People have been like, hey, I'm going to this show. Are you going to be in town? It was actually an email from a reader. Um, uh, Kyle, what's up? In, um, in Wisconsin saying, hey, come to the Timber Rattlers game, and then uh, the tour ends in, in Green Bay on June 10th. And, and so people are like, wow, you got to go to, you know, visit minor league baseball and go to these Weird Al shows. 
I'm not sure if I'll have the the budget and the you know the kind of I don't know how, how far I can stretch that premise uh, when it comes <laughs> to reality. Uh, he's playing in New York City, you know where I live, um, in March before the season starts. So I'll definitely be at that show. Uh, I'm sure I'll do my best to get to a few others throughout. And uh, as I mentioned in the blog post, uh, "Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota" is my favorite song of all time, not just by Weird Al but by anyone. It's an original song. Um, but it's all about, you know, exploring America, uh, and focusing on the endearing and the weird and the, uh, out of the way places and the nooks and the crannies. And, you know, I loved that song so much when I was a kid and then I've sort of, you know, ended up with the job I have now. And, uh, you know, it actually makes me, uh, makes me a little, uh, not, not, not sad. It makes me happy. Misty eyed. Misty eyed to think yeah. like that that kid grew up to be Ben's biz because it, that's really what I love the most, you know, weird America. And uh, I, I think who, who celebrates that better than Weird Al? And what industry in this uh, country uh, celebrates it more consistently than minor league baseball? And that I get to be a part of it, uh, still being a huge Weird Al fan and writing about the minor leagues, uh, is uh, very satisfying to me. There is also uh, coming up a wrap-up of the best food of 2017. Is that right? That is right. You know, food-based identities, that'll be up on the site tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, the day this podcast drops. So just a uh, overview from your green chili cheeseburgers to your Redding whoopie pies to uh, you know your Fresno Oreo tacos if you want to start getting avant-garde, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A wrap-up of uh, all the food-themed identities uh, that took place in the minor leagues this year. Maybe not all of them. I'll probably have forgotten one or two, and people can get in touch and act like the whole premise is flawed and I shouldn't have wrote the story in the first place. But I'm writing it, and I'm being as thorough as I can. Check it out on MILB.com, the official site of Minor League Baseball. Well, you can do that. Brand. Brooklyn Slices is on there, at least, right? Yeah, Brooklyn Slices is on there. Okay, because they sold out of Brooklyn Slices shirts before I could get one, and I'm very upset. So, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that, yeah. Sam. We Go could ahead. all go get an actual Brooklyn Slice on Friday in Brooklyn when we're all hanging out together. How does that make you feel? Hey, it's got to be gluten-free for this disease. <laughs> I've got That's a disease. True. That is like, true. I have a disease. That's true. I'm sorry, Ben. Benjamin Vanilla, you can find on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. The food identity story coming up on the site. Actually, if you're listening to this podcast, it means it's up there already. So go check that out. Check out the blog and everything else. Minor League Baseball business-related. And, uh, yeah, undoubtedly – We'll be talking to Ben a lot more about maybe this expansion stuff. This just has the feeling for some reason of a minor league offseason that's going to surprise us with some affiliations and some things that are coming up. Um, so it should be a fun one. should be an interesting one for us to, uh, to have some topics to discuss. So Ben will continue to do it all offseason. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, well, plenty to talk about. In the meantime, check me out on OKCupid.com. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Finishing off the 132nd episode of the show before the show podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we don't have a whole lot to discuss. We can't really give you playoff predictions anymore because by the time you hear this, you could already have one team on to the World Series. The Dodgers win tonight because we are recording this on Wednesday. Um, so we're not going to do that. We don't have Wait, no what TV. Are you, you're saying you don't want to give the hot take that the Cubs are going to come come back and win. I seven saw that um, David Ortiz today said um, that baseball would just be dead if the Cubs came back. Like it would just be <laughs> everybody's brains would explode, and that would be it for baseball if the Cubs came back from down 3-0. Could you imagine the takes 
Those would be the hottest takes. The only takes that could possibly be hotter would be the Yankees doing it to the Red Sox. We are the Red Sox. Well, I guess now would be the Yankees doing it to the Red Sox since the Red Sox already did that once. But man, the right. Cubs and the Dodgers, those are the two teams in the National League that would spawn the spiciest takes. So it might actually yeah. be kind of fun. Right. And just the, <laughs> the vitriol that would come at the, yeah. the Dodgers after yeah. it would be a mirroring of their season. Um, but I don't want to get too far down on that road. <laughs> it could literally be over. By it could be. But several hours it could be over. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we don't have that. We uh, we don't have any mobile TV games. Um, as we noted to you last week, when the Major League Baseball season wraps up, we will have some AFL games at MLB.com and on MLB Network. Um, but we'll we'll talk about those as the, uh, the fall rolls along. And otherwise, I guess we're done. Next week, though, very exciting. An in-person edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Which always feels like our best episodes. Yeah, that's true. That is definitely true. Um, We've got some team bonding going on on Friday. We're going to go see a fantastic stand-up comedian, the three of us. Adam, Kate, and Holland, who I've always felt like looks like Ben Hill. And Ben Hill will (laughs) be there with us, so it'll just be a whole weird thing. It's going to be good. Should be good. I wish I got a reaction of when you told Ben that the comedian we're seeing <laughs> reminds, reminds me of, him. You of Ben. So now he's just going to be sitting there saying, "Like, do I sound like that? <laughs> it's a big do compliment. I look like that? It's a big compliment. It's he's hysterical. He's my favorite comedian, man. So take it, Ben. Take it as a happy thing. <laughs> Something. All right, uh, that'll do it for this week's edition. We will talk to you with a, uh, a World Series on tap coming up next week. It should be a whole bunch of fun. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mond. We'll talk to you then. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.